Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and in each episode of Inside Books we chat to people associated with the world of books, including well-known authors, publishers, editors, agents, critics, booksellers and more. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud or iTunes and our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE where you'll also find lots of other interesting books news. My guest today is Helen Cullen, a writer from Port Leash who now lives in London. Her debut novel, The Lost Letters of William Wolfe, was published in 2018 and the same year was nominated in the Best Newcomer category in the Unpost Irish Book Awards. Now writing full-time, she contributes regularly to the Irish Times and the Sunday Times magazine and her second novel, The Truth Must Dazzle Gradually, is out now. Helen, from Port Leash to London, but via RTE no less. That's true. Hi, Brida. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's lovely to get to talk to you today, even if it is uh, from across the sea. This is it. <laughs> Needs must. Yeah, yeah. it has been a bit of a circuitous route, all right, from um, my days in Port Leash to where I am now. But um, yeah, it's been a bit of an adventure. And what did you do in RTE? So I worked in radio and 2FM. So I was one of the production team behind the scenes working in all the different programmes. And I, a big part of my job was in the live music department. So I worked with Ian Wilson and Jim Lockhart doing the kind of festival coverage and recording the bands who come in for sessions and all the kind of live music stuff during the summer season usually. And then worked on the different programmes across the station then during the rest of the season. Great experience. It was amazing. I mean, I didn't know I was born. It's only when you kind of look back, you realise, gosh, you know, I had this job doing something that I absolutely loved. And in some ways, I was absolutely mad to ever move on. But I think I had been so lucky that I started working there. You know, when I was only 18, I was doing a degree in DCU, but managed to work in TFM part time and then stayed working. So while a lot of my friends had gone off and done day ones and had different jobs and been traveling and all of that, I, you know, I, I just had never lived or worked anywhere else. So eventually in 2010, I just decided to take a kind of a year long career break and just go to London for a bit of an adventure and then just never came home. <laughs> it was never really the plan to emigrate, <laughs> but just the way things happen. You're still and you're still there. So were you writing them when you were in RTE? No, it took me a long time really to get started. I think I always had an instinct that I wanted to write. If you'd asked me when I was a little girl what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, I just assumed that when I grew up I was going to be writing books because it was the thing I loved most in the world. But it took me so long to get the confidence to try it. I think I had this idea that real writers were born and not made. Really? Yeah, and that if you, you know, were meant to write that it would just sort of happen. It would be irresistible. It would be an automatic thing that you wouldn't be able to stop yourself from feeling compelled to do. And that because I was shy about it and resistant to it, that that just probably meant that, you know, I, I didn't really have it and that I didn't really have any talent or it would have sort of, you know, come out without me really having to push it out. And I think um, it wasn't really until eventually, I think the fear of never trying to write anything overcame the fear of not being able to and um you know I was I had just turned 30 and I thought okay you know I feel like this has been lingering in my mind for a long time and I'm going to you know give myself an opportunity to see if there's anything there if I sit down and try and write and I took part in a six-month writing workshop to get me going. And even before the workshop were you were you fiddling away with small bits of work or anything Mm -hmm. were you writing at all? I always wrote loads of letters 
kept diaries, obviously working in broadcasting, you know, I did a lot of script writing and briefs for presenters and things like that. So I and, and did kind of bits of freelance journalism, never any creative writing, but I always loved the writing parts of my jobs, you know, flexing that muscle. And when I thought about it in later years, I, I, I just it hit me that it had always been the thing that I loved if anyone sort of remarked upon or, you know, if you got any feedback and people said oh, that was a great script or, you know, whatever, it always really was the thing I cared the most about you know, it was kind of my written work, but I never, ever tried to write any creative fiction at all. No short stories, no poetry, nothing. I was terrified of it. And I remember even from my Leaving Cert, you know, my English teacher saying to me, oh, stay away from the short stories because they're too subjective. You know, you're really good at the discursive, you know, nonfiction topics. So I didn't even, I didn't even try in school. I was really, really scared of it. <laughs> so it took me a long time to get going. So despite all of that, you threw yourself right into a creative writing course then? <laughs> it, was, it was actually one of the scariest things I've ever done. I saw that they were doing this six month writing workshop um, through the Guardian newspaper. They do these master classes over here and all sorts of things. And the mentor was a, an amazing uh, woman called Michelle Roberts, who's still my writing mentor today and my friend now. But she had run the UEA creative writing course, which, you know, famously produced loads of amazing novelists, like our own John Boyne, Buddy McCune, and loads of amazing writers that come through. And I thought, gosh, this seems like an amazing opportunity to take part in a workshop, you know, with this amazing creative writing facilitator who has, you know, worked on these really massive courses. But it wasn't such a big commitment. You know, it was six months. It was one night a week. It wasn't going off to try and, you know, pay and commit to a master's for a year of my life. And um, I remember the first night when we sat there, you know, people went around and introduced themselves and all the other people in the class were saying things like, oh, I've written two novels, but I haven't published them yet. Or, you know, I'm, I'm a really famous film critic or I've had my first short story collection published, you know, and they had been basically working at this writing thing for their whole lives. And I was the last person and I sat there thinking, OK, there is another Helen Cullen sitting somewhere in London who should be here tonight, but there's been some terrible mistake because at that stage, I'd only written the like 500 words writing sample or whatever, you know, that I had to submit to the application. And I think they probably just accepted everybody who applied. So that's the only way. You know, <laughs> but um, and I was absolutely terrified and thought, what have I done? I'm never going to be able to do this. And but you obviously did and enjoyed it. Well, it was crazy. You had to submit um, 5,000 words every two weeks. And it was that kind of classic writing workshop formula where everybody read everybody's work and gave each other feedback and Michelle sort of facilitated the um, critique. And so for the, I had two weeks to, for my first submission and I spent 13 days panicking and going, oh my God, what have I done? Is it too late to get out? If I cancel now and I get my fees back, what's going to happen? And then on the Sunday before I was due to hand in on the Monday, I sat down at six o'clock and thought, okay, I need to produce something because I just can't go in there tomorrow. If I don't make it to the first week, I'll never, you know, I'll never get going. And um, I sat down and I wrote what ended up being the first chapter of the book you mentioned, The Lost Letters of William Wolfe. That was the very first thing I ever wrote. And then I just kept going from there. And that's amazing, though, that the first thing you wrote ended up being a novel. What feedback did you get, I suppose, from the lecturers or the teachers or Michelle Roberts herself on that very first piece that you sent? Well, I think um, we were really blessed in that the group that formed in that class were very, very committed to each other. And Michelle had an amazing process for how she ran the feedback where it broke into um, three phases but everything had to be linked back with evidence in the text. 
So she would say, okay, first we'll talk about what's working. And you couldn't just say, oh, I thought that was brilliant. You're brilliant. You had to say, oh, I particularly connected with the way you used voice in this chapter, for example, and they would read out some dialogue. So it was all really meaningful in terms of the feedback and helping you understand where your strengths were, where your weaknesses were. Because likewise then, when it would come to the bit that wasn't working as well, people couldn't just say to you, oh, I, don't I just like thought it. that was a bit rubbish. <laughs> you know, they had to say, well, I feel like you lost focus in this paragraph because you started off talking about this, but then meandered. Or I felt like that wasn't true to the character because earlier you'd mentioned this, but this behavior doesn't support that. And so it never felt you know, personal or like you were getting anything wrong, but more just kind of learning how to deconstruct your writing. And um, it was just it was just an amazing thing to have that sort of scrutiny of your work when you're learning. And I think like many people, I wrote that first book to try and work out how you write a book. And I had no idea when I started how it was all going to come together. But the big thing that Michelle always said was just to keep going and not to worry about trying to write chronologically, you know, that you could get maybe seven chapters in and then suddenly feel, oh, gosh, there's something's going to happen here, but I don't really know how to do it. But I do know that in um, six months time, they're all going to be in Paris. And she would say, fine, we'll just skip ahead and write. Follow, she used to say, follow the energy to whatever's in your mind and just write whatever feels immediate to you. And you can just go back and fill in the gaps or write bridges later if you need to. And I found that really freeing because I'm not very good at plotting. So being able to kind of jump around and then kind of retrospectively piece it all together, I think is the only reason why I finished it or I would have gotten <laughs> stuck so many times. And that's really interesting because a lot of authors have said to us on Inside Books that they generally hit a wall a couple of times writing it and they feel they have to write their way through it. But interesting, you were saying, well, actually, hang on, just skip ahead and come back and deal with it later. Well, yeah, I think, and I think um, maybe by writing through it, they're not necessarily writing the exact scene that they're stuck on, but just not getting stuck in that moment. And, you know, that you can jump around or look at it from a different angle. And, you know, Michelle used to say really practical things to us, you know, that if you didn't know what, you know, where you were going from here, just to take your characters out of the setting of the book and bring them somewhere else. Um, like you know, where? Just, <laughs> the local coffee shop. <laughs> or just have them go for a walk, you know, along the strand or put them in the zoo and have them react to what they're seeing or whatever. And just it somehow sometimes just frees you up because you're fixating on one particular thing. But, you know, your imagination, you know, a wonderful thing. And you just have to kind of create the opportunity for it to do its work and you, you'll kind of find your way through it. But I, all the answers are on the page, which is one of the most brilliant and also terrible things about writing. There's sort of no escaping it. It's the only place you'll ever kind of solve all the problems. Um, really, even though you can spend a lot of time thinking about them, it's only when I think you get it down on the page, you know if it's really working. So you do have to push through, but just maybe not on a particular knot. You know, you can unpack something else and get work your way back to it. So you kept at it and eventually it all came together. How long did it take to write? I suppose I probably spent about um, maybe, you know, four, four years writing it, but not not in any way consistently. Like everybody, I suppose, who's trying to write, um, you know, working full time, there were times that it just felt too much, you know, that you're just too emotionally, mentally and physically exhausted to think about writing. But the one thing that kind of kept me going is every so often, I would take a few days off work and go away and just work on the book on its own. And I think that, that if you have the capacity to do that, it's such a privilege, you know, to, to only think about, you know, your writing for a few days can be really the difference, I think, in finishing a project or not finishing it because you get total immersion for a little bit and um, then you can kind of keep going, chipping away at it after you've made some progress. And um, So there were months and months and months when I would do nothing 
Um, and in the end, I actually had a, the, the version that was sent out, you know, to agents and whatever. I had been sitting there for about 18 months after I had finished it because it's, I know it seems strange now, but at the time I hadn't really thought about that end game of trying to get it published. I was really fixated on just seeing, could I get to the end of this thing? And could I actually put a book together? And then when it actually came to the point when I felt sort of finished, though, you know, it obviously wasn't finished. Little did I know how much <laughs> it wasn't finished. Yeah. <laughs> um, I sort of got a bit squeamish about it, about being told that it was terrible and that it was unpublishable and that no one wants to read it because I felt really proud of myself for having gotten that far. And I was just really worried about feeling like actually it was a bit of a failure you know if it got massively rejected so I think it took me a while to sort of decide that I, I didn't mind if it got rejected everywhere and that it wasn't going to ruin it for me. So, <laughs> so how did you go about the publishing end of it then? So I, the publishing bit then um, it was actually in the end you know not a really terrible process I know that some people go through really difficult times submitting for you know years and years and years but I, I think I was really fortunate that I I sent it out and a couple of weeks later um, I'd gotten some agent interest and had signed with my eventual agent, I think, you know, three or four weeks later. And then that was he quick. Sub- it was really quick. Mm. Yeah, I was I was just really lucky that something kind of clicked. And I often, you know, say to writers now who are feeling frustrated by the, the industry side of the process is that the only thing that really divides published writers and non-published writers is one email. And it's just a case of when that email drops, you know, you can be really lucky and the right person can read it for you early on in the process or it might take longer to get there. But in the end, it's sort of soul destroying, but brilliant that your fortune can turn on a sixpence. So I was really fortunate that my the agent that I um, went with, you know, it happened quite fast. And then, you know, he sold it quite quickly as well. So even though I had procrastinated for a long time, in the end, everything sort of went super fast. And what reaction did you get from the agent and the publishers then? Was there much rewriting or a reworking of it? Well, um, I think for, for my agent gave me some, a few things to think about before he sent it out. Um, I'm really fortunate that my agent, Peter Strauss, was the editor and publisher at Picador before he became an agent. So he's absolutely brilliant editorially, um, but he's also very light touch about it. I mean, I think his philosophy as an editor had been that, you know, he bought books that were ready to be published. You know, I think it's slightly different now where editors expect to work with authors, you know, quite a lot on the books, even after, you know, they've decided to publish them. Um, so he gave me a few things to think about. Um, that had really jumped out at him, just like in pencil <laughs> on a page, you know, it was very, very old school, light touch. And then he sent it out. And with, in my case, my publisher did a preempt. So again, it sort of happened quite fast. You get 24 hours to accept the deal or not. And I went in and had one meeting with them in Penguin and my editor, Jess, basically gave some thoughts on the book and said, at that point, the few things that she thought I might like to look at in the edit with her to make sure that, you know, I felt really comfortable with, you know, what she's, where she saw the book going. And then I worked on um, what I kind of think of as a macro edit, which is sort of structural stuff, you know, where, you know, she gave feedback on kind of the pace or, you know, how you might want to shape things. And then a micro edit, which was a kind of a fine tuning, you know, on, on the sentence level. And um, so, I mean, it, it is quite, it, it does feel like quite a long process while you're doing it, but I, I suppose every case is probably different depending on, you know, how far along in the process you are when it gets um, over the line. 
Um, and then you go through copy editors who save you from yourself yeah. and, you know, tell you all the mistakes that you've made in the text and then goes through proofreading, which um, is, you know, kind of all the uh, tiny, tiny things and your punctuation and your grammar and um, all the sort of little final bits that help it feel really smooth, which is why as well, you know, when some people say they get really disillusioned with their writing, I say to them, it's only because they're comparing their first draft to everybody else's mm. like 15th draft in the books that you're reading. You know, you have so many people helping you get it to the stage where it appears on the shelves that it's mad to worry that your first draft doesn't read like the books that you love. And eventually you end up holding the book in your hand. Eventually it happens. <laughs> yeah. And it's, um, I, it's, it probably sounds a bit mad, but I actually find it sometimes hard to even look at it. You know, the book with your name on it. It's like, it means too much. I can't even take it in. Um, it doesn't seem real. It's like I've sort of printed them off at home or something, you know. <laughs> a make and do <laughs> slot. <laughs> yeah, I just find it so hard to actually make it um, a real thing. Just, you know, having wanted it for so long, it's just bizarre. And now we're on book two. Now we're on book two, yeah. And um, it came out on the 20th of August. And were you writing that uh, or when did you start writing that, I suppose, after the first one? So I started writing that once I'd finished with those final stages. With the once, once the proofreading was done on the first book, I immediately started working on the second novel. And I got that was really helped along by great advice I got from Niall Williams, you know, the amazing Irish writer, who said to me that it would, no matter what happened with the first book, I would feel a million times better about myself and publishing and the world if I had a draft written before it hit the shelves. Um, and I think that was really sound advice. And he said, you need to like dig deep and push hard and get a first draft of the second book written before the first one sees the light of day. So I took that advice to heart and I did work really hard. And and um, so, yeah, that was pro- the first draft of that was was written before the first book came out. And then, you know, since then, I was kind of doing more edits on it and other drafts and going through that editorial process again. How did you find the writing process on the second one compared to the first one? Was it quicker? It was much quicker. I was I, I, a lot of people had said to me, oh, it's like your difficult second album, you know, and had kind of freaked me out about it, thinking that, oh, this is you know going to be really, really difficult. But actually, compared to the first one, where it was so fragmentary and sporadic and disconnected, and I think genuinely think the book suffered from being written over such a long period of time and you're changing so much. So every time you come back to it, you're writing for, as a different person and from a different place. And I think it's really hard for it to keep it as a cohesive thing um, when it's that fragmentary. So then suddenly having this opportunity of being able to like stop working for a while and just write and keep in the right in the kind of world of the book inside your head. It just felt so luxurious compared to the first time around. Um, and I think it just, yeah, it, ha- it, ha- it felt like it happened much, much, much more, um, gosh, what's the word? Smoother. But fluidly, you know, just, just it felt like a really fluid process, you know, being able to kind of start and kind of keep going without like massive, massive, massive breaks in between. And what are you working on at the moment? Well, so I was just about to say, and I now realise in retrospect how um, how lucky I was that I had that experience because I found it so hard then to get going properly with the third book. Really? Yeah, I, I kind of thought, I'm, I'll just do this again. I'll just sit down and start writing the third book. But um, I just sort of hit a bit of a wobble with it and kind of lost faith that I was writing it from the right perspective 
and from the right voice. And it, I realized I had never really chosen what voice to write the first two books in. It had kind of just been an automatic thing. But the, the kind of the structure and the style of the new book, it just wasn't immediately, immediately obvious to me what, what voice would best deliver that. And it was the first time I'd really sort of thought about it in that kind of external way. And it, it just, it was almost like turning the light on in the room you know, whereas normally I would kind of work in the darkness of kind of feeling my way through it. And once I became too conscious of it, I just couldn't feel it anymore. So I've, I've been really struggling to kind of get get into the flow of it in the same way that I had with the second book. But, but I'm getting there. <laughs> and I was going to say, how do you keep yourself motivated then in that sense? I think um, it's really difficult because there isn't that sense of, of progress in the way that I felt with the first two of, you know, keeping going, keeping going and having the story unravel. There are people who are amazing at plotting their books out. And I'm sure that that helps at moments of crisis like that, because, you know, well, OK, I'll just work on that scene that's coming later. But because the story kind of unravels for me in the writing, it's very hard for me to keep going then if I'm not confident in the voice that I'm using because I can't just, you know, let it unravel because I'm my, my great philosophy all along has always been just keep going, just keep going and don't look back. So when I can't just keep going, just keep going, um, it, it, you know, I get really stuck. But um, I've just been trying to remember all the things that got me through in the first with the first two books about like writing a different scene, moving to a different place in the book you know, not feeling like this has to be successful, this writing session in terms of progressing this, you know, particular piece and just kind of feeling your way through it. So um, hopefully it'll all come together. <laughs> I'm sure it will. And do you think COVID has had an impact on you? Is, is that part of the reason maybe? Uh, I'm very tempted to say yes. That <laughs> some of the responsibility for me. I think it was just a crisis of confidence. Every time you write, you sort of have to take a leap of faith. It's a strange thing. Um, so I think once I sort of lost my nerve that I was doing the right thing, it was really hard to build it back up again. But it pro I'm sure the whole pandemic has been affecting us all in all sorts of different ways. And um, like everybody, you know, you're sort of riddled with anxiety and it's not very conducive to sort of disconnecting, I think, from the external world and focusing on anything. You know, I found it quite hard to read as well. And just to kind of be able to sink into kind of your internal mind, I think has been quite difficult with it all going on. So yeah, it probably actually has really. And you mentioned earlier as well, your writing mentor, Michelle Roberts, and it sounds like she's been sort of quite invaluable to you. Would you advise other writers to get a mentor if they can? I think it's absolutely amazing. But I suppose it all depends on being the right person who understands what you're trying to do and understands you as a person and the way to help you access you know your best work I mean I think Michelle's philosophy is is amazing because she just she never really sort of gives direct feedback in the sense of oh I think you should do this or I don't think this is working but you know she'll read a draft for me and then ask me you know 50 questions about it which reveals to me you know anyway you know where she thinks it's working or where she thinks I might need to spend more time thinking or where she can tell that my my focus has shifted um so I think if you have someone who's able to understand your work and connect with you like that it's an incredible thing to have that relationship it's similar to what many authors have with their editors of course but it's separate because obviously your mentor has no vested interest in the product you know they're coming at it from a different perspective any other advice for for other writers 
Well, I suppose the only thing that I often say now is that creativity only happens when you create the opportunity for it. So as difficult as it is, sometimes to feel like you can carve out time in your day for your writing, you could be waiting forever for the perfect environment or for the muse to drop or to have the perfect idea. And actually you only find, I think, those things when you give yourself the chance to discover them on the page. So um, yeah, just create some time for yourself to find your way through it, I think. Basically just do it. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> there's, there's no getting around it, unfortunately. <laughs> Get on with it. Well, Helen Cullen, thank you for joining us here on Inside Books. And you'll find Helen's books in your local bookshops and online now. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books IRE. And if you want to hear other episodes, just search for us on the various audio platforms. And don't forget to leave us a rating or review. I'm Brida Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production 